Today is a very, very special day. A day that is a long time in coming. We have the opportunity to dedicate uh, our prayer garden, which is now completed. Now, the reason we're doing the dedication ceremony in here is because we won't all fit in there. And what's most important is Jesus' promise that when we gather together as his people, he's present with us. Not the building, the people. And so since this is where Jesus is, we are giving him a gift today. We are going to do it here in his presence. Before we do the actual dedication, I'd like to tell you the story of how we got to building this prayer garden, explain to you what only recently God has explained to me about its significance, and help all of us to understand what the ultimate purpose of that room that's now completed off to my right. In 2011, five years ago, we were going through the Gospel of John in a sermon series entitled A Beautiful Life. We got to the story in John chapter 12, the story you just heard read and sung. It's a story about a woman named Mary who is so grateful for what God has done, that God has done such miraculous, gracious, kind things for her, that when he comes to her house, she resolves to go and get this alabaster box of perfume that if you listen carefully in the story, we are told it was worth a year's wages. So think about that in your own terms today. Maybe $50,000 this alabaster box of perfume, and she takes this, what is most certainly the most valuable material possession that she has, and she breaks it and pours it out on his feet. Now, you're only supposed to use a little bit of perfume. She uses the whole thing, and the aroma fills the entire house. Now, Judas disingenuously says, couldn't we have taken that perfume and sold it and given it to the poor? What he realizes is what everyone realizes. Now that it's broken and spilled out, it's worthless. It went from being worth a year's wages to being worth nothing. And Jesus rebukes Judas and says, what you don't understand is the single most important thing in life is to experience the presence of God and to give him worship in return. That is important as evangelism is, as important as caring for the poor is, as important as helping believers mature in their faith. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that's more important than the worship of Jesus from beginning to end. This whole thing is all about our relationship with him and what Mary is doing in that moment is she is saying thank you to Jesus for loving her and she is loving him in return and Jesus says, this is it. This is what it is all about. 
Now, when we were going through that passage, you can't help but be moved by this beautiful act of worship. And it calls us up short because we read this and we say, I want to do something like that. I've been rescued. I've been set free from sin. I've experienced God's amazing grace in my life. What could I do? What could we do as a church to give back to God something that says thank you to Him the way that Mary did it? The problem is, is we don't have these jars of perfume and Jesus is not tangibly and physically present with us in the same way. How do we do this? And during that sermon, I wondered aloud, could we as a church do something like this? Let me actually show you the clip from that sermon. There has been something that's been convicting me. And the question is, but where's the outrageous nature? Where's that extravagant thing? The budget's good. I like that. I like that on a weekly basis we're making a decision to reach the poor and to try to mature believers and to worship God. I'm, I'm glad for that. But where's that outrageous Mary thing? Where's that perfume pouring wasted thing that is simply worship? That thing that we've done in the past or that thing that we could do in the future that would simply communicate nothing except Jesus is worthy. Where's that thing? What is it? I mean, John 12 rubs you the wrong way. If you didn't have Jesus' comments, we'd all vote for Judas. Where's that thing we're doing at Calvary Church? Whereby people come along and say, no, no, I get the worship thing, but that is way over the top. Where is that? I don't know what that is. I tried to think about different things that we could do and Asked other people in leadership. Nothing really solidified itself as being from the Lord. So one thing I'll ask you to do is as you think through this passage, maybe God might lay something on your heart that we could do as a church. I'd be interested for what you could do as an individual or in your family. Is there some way you can express just outrageous, outlandish worship of Jesus in your own family? That would be great. But is there something we could do corporately together? Maybe God might lay something on your heart. I'd be glad to hear what it is. Maybe there's something we could do. Maybe it's enough. Maybe what we're doing with the budget is the right way to do it. But there's some part of me that says, what if just one time we had this very extravagant piece of worship? I don't know what that would be. But think about that. Now the powerful thing for me in going back and rewatching that sermon is in this very service that that clip is from. Right after I stopped that clip, the spirit came upon someone in this service and he shouted out, God has heard you. God has heard your prayer. He's answered. It's on its way. Now, I didn't know what to make of that. That was encouraging and affirming. I didn't know what that meant. But he spoke the absolute truth. The answer was on its way. And that over the next few weeks, we as a church prayed together and said, what could we do that is not functional or utilitarian? What can we do that's just an expression of our love for Jesus? And as the elders and the church prayed together, God laid upon our hearts the idea of taking an offering. I mean, after all, Mary is giving something that is materially, financially very expensive. And so God gave us the idea to take an offering that we called the extravagant gift offering. 
Now, it was an offering that we as a church were taking in faith because number one, we had no idea how much would come in. It was just simply, if you're grateful to the Lord, give. If God's done something, give. Number two, we gave it in faith because nobody, me, the leadership, you, had any idea what we were going to give it to. We were just going to take this offering and then ask the Spirit to guide us into something. And so we took that offering, and after it was collected, you, the leadership, me, all said, okay, now what do we do? We've got this thing. We've got this money. What could we give to Jesus? And I remember very distinctly being in an elder meeting after the offering had been taken. And the elder said, we need to know, we need help from the Spirit. We want to give Jesus a present. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us in this. And so literally, we got off our chairs, got in a circle, knelt down in the presence of the Lord and prayed and said, Lord, tell us. Give us something. And then we went silent. And we said, Lord, we're listening. When the time of listening was over, we went around the circle and said, what did you hear from the Lord? Every single elder in the room heard the exact same thing. Build Jesus a prayer garden. Now, why a prayer garden? Well, in John 12, the main sensory experience is the smell, the aroma that fills the house, and it's a beautiful, pleasing aroma to God. Well, if you look in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we find out that the aroma that's pleasing to God is in heaven today, the incense, can I have Revelation chapter 5? The incense that is filling the golden bowls in heaven, it says, when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. Incense is that beautiful aroma. Which are the prayers of God's people. That what God decorates heaven with are the prayers of his people. This is the most beautiful smell for God. And so as we're thinking, how do we reenact what Mary did? How do we create an aroma that is pleasing to the Lord? God led us to the idea of building a space dedicated solely to prayer so that we may offer to God on a regular basis the incense, the aroma of prayers. That prayer garden, that space. The space in this building that is for nothing else. No utilitarian function. It's not multi-purpose space. It's not reconfigurable to do something else. There is now a piece of space on our property that is solely and completely for offering to Jesus that which he loves best. The prayers of his people. It's done. It's completed now, it's been a long journey. It's taken us five years. It's been at times unbelievably difficult. And in my weaker moments, I've said to the Lord, why is this so difficult? I've actually apologized to Jesus multiple times. 
I'm sorry. We promised you this prayer garden and we just can't pull it off. Now, during one of the sort of darkest moments, when it looked like it was never going to happen, and the embarrassment and the humiliation, not in front of you. I can fail in front of you all the time. That's fine. I've done it. (laughs) But Jesus, the one who gave everything for me, for us, we can't give him a present in one of those darkest moments. God brought me a word of encouragement. You see, part of the reason it got bogged down in this whole thing is is that as we decided to give God a prayer garden, the Spirit also led us to do this entire Grace Beyond project. But God said, listen, what you need to know, you need to be strong and finish that prayer garden, and I will help you. I promise I will help you. But the word of encouragement you need to understand is God said, I love that prayer garden more than you're ever going to know. And the reason he said is, is because you offered it to me without me asking for it. And he reminded me of what David did in the Old Testament. When David was so overwhelmed with God's goodness and grace, he says, I want to build a house for God. God says, Calvary Church has done that very thing. And he says, I love that prayer garden space, so don't be afraid. My spirit has led you to this point. My spirit will help you finish it. It will not be by power or by might, but by my spirit, and it will get done. And today, God has fulfilled that promise. Now, along the way, yeah. Now, also during some of that dark period, God said, let me tell you why it's taking so long. Let me help you understand that it's part of a bigger thing that I'm doing. And for that, he took me to the book of Ezra, chapter 5. You see, with the idea of this beautiful aroma, it's not just John 12 and Revelation 5. The idea of a pleasing aroma is connected to the Old Testament, to the temple in the Old Testament, where sacrifices are offered and God smells that beautiful gift and sacrifice and it is a pleasing aroma and so the lord said symbolically that prayer garden is connected to my temple and he took me to ezra chapter 5 and in ezra 5 the story of the rebuilding of god's temple joshua the high priest Zechariah, Zerubbabel, and Haggai are encouraging the people to build for God that temple so he might be present with them and dwell among them to return to them after all of their sin, after all of their captivity and bondage. When they get together and begin the work, it is 520 BC. As soon as they begin, opposition arises. People sent from the evil one to delay the construction of the temple. There are letters written, people actively trying to discourage what's going on. And it brings the construction of a temple to a halt for a couple of years. God intervenes and overrides the opposition. And finally the temple is completed again. 
It's in the year 515 B.C., specifically March 12th, 515 B.C., in the fifth year. Well, I'm looking at this in the text, and my jaw is dropping. Because we began five years ago, and we offered to Jesus a prayer garden. And the moment we offered to do that, opposition arose to the prayer garden and to some other things going on at Calvary Church related to prayer that hijacked the elders' time for a year or two dealing full-time with this opposition. And in the midst of it, any thoughts about the prayer garden or about grace beyond were completely on hold, but God in His grace showed up and removed that opposition. And we began again to work on grace beyond and specifically on that prayer garden. And that prayer garden got completed in 2016 in our fifth year on March 18th. Now, when I first heard that, I thought, well, why don't you finish it on March 12th, God? Like, it's close, but just a little off. Like, if you're going to line this up, line it up. <laughs> and then God said, there's more to the story. It had to be March 18th and not March 12th. They're still connected, but there's more to the story. In order to explain it, I'm going to show it to you on a chart so you can kind of keep track of it. So the first thing I need on the chart is Ezra 5. The temple is rebuilt on March 12th, 515 B.C. Best we can tell. It's hard to kind of go back and recalculate, but best we can tell, March 15th, March 12, 515 B.C. In Ezra 5, we know this for sure, the very next thing that they do is they dedicate the temple. The very next thing after that is they celebrate Passover. Now, fast forward to A.D. 33. This is when John 12 happens. The story we've been talking about. Jesus is anointed by Mary in March of A.D. 33. The very next thing that happens, literally the next day, is Palm Sunday. When Jesus is dedicated to the Lord and he is announced as being God's Messiah, God's Holy One who has come to rescue us. The very next thing that happens after that, Passover, which we know of as Good Friday and Easter. Those things are connected. Now fast forward to 2011. This is when we're preaching on John 12. Preaching on John 12 and the discussion about the extravagant gift happens during Lent in 2011, in other words, March and April. Now the next thing that happens after we are praying about this extravagant gift, the very next thing that happens is that on Palm Sunday, we announce that we're going to take an extravagant gift offering and that for the first time in Calvary's history, we're going to try this idea of having a temporary prayer garden in our chapel. 
No one has any idea that we're going to actually build a permanent prayer garden with that offering. But on that Palm Sunday, we announce we're going to take an offering, which we'll ask the Lord later what it's for. And there's going to be a prayer garden that you can use for a week. The very next thing that happened on Passover, Good Friday, we took that offering. Fast forward four more years to last year. God has connected grace beyond and the prayer garden together so that the prayer garden is really the essence of what we're trying to do with this building project. We asked you to pray about pledging to grace beyond and we did that during Lent of 2015. In other words, March of 2015. The very next thing we did is on Palm Sunday, we gave our pledges. We offered them to Jesus and said, here's what we want to give to you. The very next thing that we did is we celebrated Passover, which is Good Friday and Easter, which brings us to this year. The prayer garden is finished on March 18th. Why not March 12th? Because the very next thing we're going to do is dedicate it on Palm Sunday this morning. It got finished on Friday. We are dedicating it today. And the very next thing we're going to do is celebrate Passover, which is Good Friday or Easter. Now, when you look at this nice, neat chart, some of you are going to think, wow, good planning. It's true, but we didn't plan it. We had no idea this was going on. The prayer garden was supposed to be done back in January. We weren't originally going to be taking pledges at that time a couple of years ago. I look at all of this stuff and I say, oh Lord, you are amazing. You have lined this whole thing up. You have done all of these things. I had no idea there was any connection to Ezra and to John 12 and the way this would all fit together. And what God has said is, look, I've got a plan and I am executing that plan. And it's amazing. And when I look at this, I realize this communicates the essence of that prayer garden and the essence is this. In John 12, Mary is worshiping Jesus because he's present with her. In the Old Testament at the temple, God is present with his people. The reason, the purpose for this prayer garden is so that we can meet with God. So that we can draw near to God. Listen, sometimes my children invent a game and they want to play it with me. Whenever they come up with a game and they invent and they want me to play with it, I'm always glad to do it. It's not because I need a new game in my life. It's because that game represents their desire to spend time with me. Nothing is more beautiful to me. And so whatever they come up with, I want to spend time with them doing that thing. That's what the prayer garden is. It's our invitation to Jesus to come spend time with us. Listen, he doesn't need a prayer garden. The whole world is his. The whole universe is his. When you get a chance to look at that prayer garden, I hope you say, wow, this is beautiful. But compared to the universe, it's a piece of junk. 
but it's our piece of junk that we're giving to God the very best thing we can give Him. And it's an invitation. Come spend time with us. Come spend time with us. And do you know what His response is? And He's made it very clear. It's in His Word. You draw near to me and I will draw near to you. I will meet you in that space. Now, is there anything special about the space? Yes and no. No from the fact that it's just bricks and mortar. But yes from the fact that we are giving it to Him. We're choosing to give Him those bricks and mortar. And we're saying to Him, this is dedicated to you. This is not for children's ministry or for youth ministry or for outreach. This is a piece of property in this place that belongs totally and completely to you. The whole thing's His. But this space... We're giving to him as a present. Today, right now. And Jesus says, I swear to you. There is no one who seeks the Lord that the Lord does not respond to. And here's the crazy thing. The reason why it's taken us so long is God says, I got lots of big things I need to do in order to make that happen. And it has nothing to do with bricks and mortar. It has everything to do with you becoming a people who return to me so that I can return to you. And here's the crazy thing. For five years, I thought we'd been trying to give Jesus a gift. And God's been trying to give us a gift. And isn't that the way it works? When David wanted to build God a house, God said, I'll let you build a house. I'll let your son build a house. But I'm going to build you a house, a dynasty. I'm going to give you something beyond your wildest imagination. And what about Palm Sunday? When we come and lay down our palm branches and our coats. Those are really great presents. But what do we get back in return? The King of kings and the Lord of lords riding in on a donkey to his kingdom. You can't outgive God. We are trying to give Jesus a present and he's accepting it. But in return, he's giving us a present which is the promise of his presence with us. Man, I look at this and I think, Lord, only you could do this. And so what we're going to do right now is we're going to hand that present to Jesus. I'm going to invite all of the elders who've been involved in this process for the past five years to come join me up here on the platform. Denny Bergaker, who is one of our elders, uh, who was one of the elders during the time in which we were doing the extravagant gift and has also been the chairman of the building committee, will be reading aloud for us 2 Chronicles chapter 6. 2 Chronicles 6 is the prayer of dedication that Solomon offers when the temple is dedicated to the Lord. At the end of that reading, we're going to give our prayer of dedication and give that space to Jesus. Second Chronicles 6, 12 through 42, if you choose to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's on page 348. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and placed it in the center of the outer court. And he stood on the platform and knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands towards heaven. He said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth. 
You keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father, with your mouth. You have promised and with your hands you have fulfilled it as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, you shall never fail to have a successor to sit, on, sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful to, in all they do to walk before me according to my law as you have done. And now, Lord, the God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David come true. But will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet, Lord, my God, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in, in your presence. May your eyes be open toward the temple day and night, this place of which you have said you would put your name there. May you hear the prayer of your servants, your servants pray toward this place. Hear the supplications of your servants and your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven, your dwelling place, and, and when you hear, forgive. When anyone does wrong to their neighbor and is required to take an oath and they come and swear before your altar in this temple, then hear from heaven and act. Judge your servant condemning the guilty and bringing down on their heads what they have done and vindicating the innocent by treating them in accordance with their innocence. And when your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in the temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them back to the land you gave them and their ancestors. When the heavens are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and when they pray toward this place and give praise to your name and turn from their sin because you have afflicted them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them the right way to live. Send rain on the land you gave your people for an inheritance. When famine or plague come to the land or blight or mildew, locust or grasshoppers, or when enemies besiege them in any of their cities, whatever disaster or disease may come, and when a prayer or plea is made by anyone among your people Israel, be aware of their afflictions and pain and spreading out their hands towards this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Forgive and deal with everyone according to all they do since you know their hearts, for you alone know the human heart. So they will fear you and walk in obedience to you all the time they live in the land you gave your ancestors. As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel but come from a distant land because of your great name, and your mighty hand, and your outstretched arm. When they come and pray towards this temple, then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that the people of the earth may know your name, and fear you as do your own people, Israel, and may know that this house I have built bears your name. And when your people go to war against their enemies, wherever you send them, and when they pray to you towards this city you have chosen, and the temple I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea and uphold their cause. And when they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you become angry with them and give them over to the enemy who takes them captive to a land far away or near, and if, if, the, if they have a change of heart in that land where they are held captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity and say, we have sinned, we have done wrong and acted wickedly, and if they turn back to you 
with all of their heart and soul in the land of their captivity where they are taken and pray towards the land you gave their ancestors, toward the city you have chosen and toward the temple I have built for your name. Then from heaven your dwelling place, hear their prayer and their pleas and uphold their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, my God, may your eyes be opened and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise, Lord God, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priest, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to your servant, David. Now, if you're able, I'll invite you to kneel and we're going to offer our prayer of dedication. Lord Jesus, yours is the name above all names. Yours is the glory and the honor and the authority and the power. Who are we? We are but dust in the ground that you have formed and fashioned and breathed life into us. Every one of us, Lord, sinners, rejected, sent away, but by your grace rescued and healed and redeemed and restored. Jesus, you have said in your own words, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And so, Lord Jesus, today on this day, we give to you this prayer garden. Lord, this is the third time I have prayed this prayer of dedication. And God, I ask you that like holy, 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 the third time as we give this to you, Lord God, it would signify the fullness that this is yours. It is set apart for you alone. Lord God, it was ours to begin with, but we give it to you wholeheartedly and gladly. Jesus, I am sorry. We have not done everything we ought to have done. We have not been a faithful people. We have been proud and we have been arrogant. We have done things in our own way. We have followed our own wisdom. We have followed the wisdom of this world. I and this church have not been what we needed to be, but here today, forgive us, O Lord. Accept this prayer garden as an act of restitution that we might make amends and show you how sorry we are. You have forgiven all of our sins on the cross, but we today say that we love you. And Jesus, I ask that you would do what you promised. You promised that you would do this, that you would meet us in this place and that the prayers that are offered in that place, that you would sanctify them and make them holy, that you would accept them, that the faith that has gone into building that place would imbue and endow those prayers with power, that God, that as your people sit in that place and stand in that place and kneel in that place that Lord Jesus you would hear from heaven and I pray that you would open up the heavens and that you would come down you promised that if we ask we will receive if we seek we will find if we knock the door will be open today Jesus we knock and we're asking you to open the door of heaven and to come down in all of your glory and your splendor that you might lead the procession that you have rightly won we are captives our hearts belong to you not by force but by the force of your love, come into this place in a powerful way. Jesus, you are here every Sunday when we gather, but what I'm asking is that the prayers that are offered in this place would hear and be special to you, that they would be a pleasing aroma, that like Mary, they would be offered in gratitude and in faith, and that we would leave behind our worldly possessions 
Lord, this prayer garden was costly. It cost us money. It cost us time. It cost us effort. It cost us agony and heartache. We have withstood opposition not by our strength, but by your strength. It's not been by our might or by our strength, but by your spirit that you have completed this task. And now today I ask that you would accept it as our gift to you. Lord, we owe you so much more, but please accept this. Look favorably upon this church and upon these people because, God, we have gathered together and tried to be obedient. God, we ask that you would do this thing for us because, Lord, who are we without you? Don't send us from this place without your presence. That's what distinguishes us from all other people on the face of the earth is your presence with us. Come and dwell with us. Receive our invitation. We want you to be with us. We want to ask things in your name and you've promised that our Father in heaven will listen because he loves us and because we're asking in your name. And Holy Father, we are giving this prayer garden to your Son, Jesus, because he is worthy of all honor. You have declared that yourself and your Spirit has led us to this point. Accept this gift from a grateful people. It's not perfect. We're not perfect. But it's given out of obedience. It's given out of a heart of love. And it's given out of submission to your spirit. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.